We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 336 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and he's Emil Evanesian. Emil, coming off a 4-0 Osasuna win, it doesn't get much more perfect of a Monday to talk about that, does it? It really doesn't. I mean, I can really get used to this regularly churning out four-at-a-time thing. Well, I think it is, again, a reward for us, having gone through the slog of a number of bad results throughout the (laughs) first half of this season. And now we get to talk about the nuance between what is good football and what could be great football. Because this Osasuna match, diving right in, has an argument to have been Barcelona's most complete, their most flawless, just their best performance, which is unbelievable considering this is now the fourth time, or the fifth time rather, in like five weeks that they scored four goals in a game. Napoli, Valencia, Atletico Madrid, Athletic Club, and Osasuna putting four past each of those teams now yes. in just over a little bit of a month. And even the XG, 3.90 expected goals to 0.11 expected goals. And <laughs> Osasuna, they've been in kind of bad form, but they're still a middle-of-the-table team that was yeah. kind of fighting for Europa League in the early part of the season. And they have since, not say come back down to earth, but their budget is now kind of equaling where they are in the table. That yeah. said, Osasuna is not that bad. And Barcelona just completely steamrolled them. There was no whisper from Osasuna in that game at all no. they were just completely outclassed these are good players Osasuna is it's not I'm not trying to take away credit from Barcelona Barcelona just it didn't matter who it was yesterday I think that's the point for me that makes it so complete that it Osasuna or Galatasaray whoever it was yesterday that was yeah that was taken to the sword was going to be taken yeah. to the sword no matter who they were totally agree well yeah because I mean and I realized the first meeting between these two sides was First of all, it was in Pamplona, so there's that. And secondly, it was very much a different Barcelona that squared off with Osasuna the first time around. But just the the performances and the nature of the performances and uh, the attempts to control the game or take control of the game the first time around that were, you know, futile, basically, compared to what happened yesterday when, I mean, it's like you said, there wasn't a shadow of a doubt as to how that game was going to play out. Yeah, and I mean, four almost, you know, you could easily have seen it being more. I mean, it mm-hmm. just just given the, the quality of performance, both in terms of the, the control that Barca exerted over the game and the chances that they created. And yeah, four almost felt like the, 
I don't want to I don't immediately get you know completely spoiled, but four almost felt like the bare minimum that that performance warranted. And yeah, it was spectacular. I mean, you there's there's not a not a hole to really poke in it. All four goals were mm-hmm. team goals. All four goals. I know the the first one was a penalty kick, but leading up to that, I thought it was one of the yeah, best movements. The, we'll get into that in a second. But I want to start with a question for you, and that is who was your man of the match? Because I think that is kind of where I want to start at. There's so many great performances from yesterday, and because yesterday they were such a cohesive team because they had so yes. many individual performances that supported one another so well. There's multiple players, as I said, on every goal that played a role, a positive role in that goal and in Barcelona dominating their opposition. So I want to ask who your man of the match was, and we'll work our way backwards that way. Oof, all right. So my, my, knee-jerk, my knee-jerk response is Usman Dembele. Hmm. I, because I just – he – I mean the the pass to to Ferran Torres for the the second goal. I mean just instantly, it was the kind of thing that it's a sort of pass that I've you know we've all seen this season attempted countless dozens of times, and it's the kind of it's the pass that a defender sticks out his leg or just casually slides over and intercepts. It's it's a nice thought, but it doesn't it doesn't come off. But that one just as it was going, it I don't know like it was just kind of it was guided by something serendipity angels, whatever it was. It, it just, it was so, so nice. And so, I mean, I, you know, I thought he was fantastic. Um, I thought Ferran Torres was, was excellent as well. And I know that's much more kind of the, uh, I guess the attack centric take on man of the match, but I do think that the, the two of them were probably for me, you know, they, they set a tone and they also were vital in initially kind of blowing Osasuna out of the water and just taking control of the match. Yeah, it is funny you say that, and it's, it's a, I think, an indictment of how good the match was yesterday that, to me, the best of the front three was actually Obama Yang in terms of what he was <laughs> providing yesterday. Yeah. Um, for Dembele, quickly, the, the things that I liked quickly about Dembele mm. was that because this is now his fifth assist in four mm. La Liga matches, it tells you that Barcelona are doing well, and it's unfortunate, yep. too, because he's now had more assists or the equal number of assists to any other player in La Liga since 2021 mm-hmm. began. And he also has now as many assists in his previous 45 league games as he does have in his last four. <laughs> he has seven assists on the season, which marks his best mark in any of his time in the Liga. So all of those mm-hmm. numbers tell you that this is the best version of Dembele that Barcelona fans have ever sat, uh, ever had. And once again, yep. it's a reminder that this is probably the end of his time at Barcelona, which is just, again, yeah. an incredible, disheartening, I guess. But it, Yeah, that's a little take, bit depressing. Yeah, yeah, you take the good with the bad. But yeah, this is the best version of Dembele that Kules have ever seen, numerically, as well as, I think, even defensively. Yesterday, yeah. it's, you know, we've been talking about the combinations of how Adama and Des don't really work too well together, that mm-hmm. Des works a little bit better with Dembele, and that Alves works a bit better with, with Adama Traore, but not really. I'm not sure about that. Alves Adama thing, uh, but at least the other two combinations where Dembele and Alves seem to work well together, mm-hmm. and Dest and Dembele also seem to work well together. But Dembele yesterday, when Alves and Alba in particular are going to come in as tight into the field as they do and basically mm-hmm. become these interiors and in build up when Barcelona are controlling a match like that, that means that Dembele has to defend. He has to, has to, has to defend out on yeah. the wings, and he did that yesterday. So offensively, yes, he does his thing. But a lot of that is because Dembele was being put in really good spots to succeed yeah. because of those switches of play from Garcia yeah. or Alba. And then so much of Barcelona, and this has been the case since Xavi took over, so much of Barcelona's success is 
coming from the buildups on the left side, and then it's a switch over to the right, whether for Adama or Demele. And yesterday mm-hmm. was so fluid, it didn't even feel like it was this one, it, this isolation thing with Demele, because this time around, Osasuna mm-hmm. were trying so desperately to get the ball off Barcelona 35, yeah. 40 meters from their own net that Dembele wasn't just put out on the touchline. He was receiving the ball already with his momentum moving inward to create yep. something and do something with that. Uh, so Dembele was put in excellent spots yesterday. And for me, Obama Yang, you know, why I said I was not even most impressed <laughs> with him, but well, one, I'm really impressed by the fact that he, that near post run, that third goal, it just felt so simple. <laughs> and, you yes. know, I, I, I just missed that forward for Barcelona making a near post run. There were times when we would try yeah. to gaslight ourselves into thinking that, that Griezmann was truly doing that, right? And we were trying yeah. to hang on to this thing. Oh, you know, Antoine Griezmann is figuring out to make that run. But for me, Obama Yang was best by doing something he's not good at. And that is by, by coming into the midfield, by checking mm. to the ball. And whether it was a simple layoff or not even receiving the ball just by coming into that space and checking yeah, just being the ball a, the way he a did. Deep, almost a yeah. decoy or a, just attracting some attention. Yeah, his yeah. movement, his movement on the left side during buildup as he became at creating that third man for my man of the match. I'll get to in a second. I just <laughs> thought it, it was just so important to breaking down Osasuna early and often. And then yeah. obviously getting his fifth goal in six La Liga games, the second fastest Barca player to ever reach five goals in the 21st century. Or as Well, that fast ever reached five goals, but second fastest Barca player to reach five goals in the Liga, that being Samuel Eto'o in 2004 and mm. Ibrahimovic in 2009. They got five goals in five appearances. That's the only fast, okay. That's the only faster than Obama Yang's five and six. That's the easier way to say that. So yes, and then even on that, that final, I mean, their third goal, it reminds me of the partnership that Aubameyang and Dembele had at Dortmund and how yeah. even though that goal, that third goal was, I mean, most of it was Garcia who had a, a terrific, what was it? I guess you want a shadow ball or a, he just, he mm-hmm. faked his head, faked the movement for a pass to open up his body for a pass to PK. But instead it yep. was a through ball into Alves and Alves just went, you know, full, <laughs> full, full uh, yoga Benita and just went yeah. up the field himself. <laughs> and then after Dembele, Aubameyang finishes to the near post again. I mean, terrible defending. Also, Suna, that was yes. their worst defense as well. They gave they gave Demele way too much time on the ball to cross that ball in, and yeah, he had that, time and he had space. Yeah, yeah, better but, better uh, better teams in quotes there won't do that. But then Obama Yang also should not have been allowed to get across the defender's body and get to the near post where he's still in front of goal. Like those two things clearly cannot happen if you're any back line. And I, I think a more organized even Galatasaray on Thursday, that third goal wouldn't have happened because of how organized Galatasaray were. Yeah, that was actually the and, and that was the thing. I mean, I think. It was, you know, pretty flawless execution against minimal resistance. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess it was, in a sense, I suppose it's what they should do. You know what I mean? It's, uh, you know, they weren't out there on a completely empty pitch, but, you know, no one was really creating that much difficulty for them. At the very least, like, it's it's nice to to just slam the door shut on those things and not have it feel like a, a near miss, you know, a, a chance that went, that went wanting. You know what I mean? Or, you know, like an, a miscontrolled touch or you know, just banging it off the post or something, or just putting it just wide or something like that. It's nice because I think there is a certain element of the early season. I don't know. I mean, it's, I don't know whether it's people buy into the idea of sort of momentum or confidence defining, you know, materializing the the results that you want or whatever it is. But I just feel like when everybody was just in the doldrums and, and the whole, the whole thing was just in a funk, those don't go in the, you know, the goalkeepers make saves or, Obama Yang is a, a toenail off line, you know, offside. Or so it, it was nice. It was just a little bit of a, 
And I understand I'm playing the result as well, but it was a, a bit of an affirmation of what the the better version of the team that, that we're seeing over the past you know six or seven weeks. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, and then the finish that forward line real quick. Ferran Torres with mm. five goals now in 12 matches. And when you talk about yeah. form, Barcelona are clearly playing with confidence and clearly in form. And there's still that question, is is Ferran Torres still in form? Is Has he done, not to say done enough, but I, I, I wonder... Now that Kool-Aid have already decided that he cannot possibly earn <laughs> his 55 million euro price tag, you know, because he's already fallen short of that in the yeah. 10 matches for which he had three goals for which Barcelona fans have decided to in, to <laughs> persecute him on. I, I just I yeah. don't know what number is going to be required. I, I still made the prediction and still believe that he's going to finish in double digits in five months in the Liga, which would be. I mean, just fine in your first year. I mean, it's the same thing where for Griezmann and Coutinho, I, I think when they first arrived. You know, mm. they certainly were going through it, but they were going through it so much that Kool-Aid's were completely, you know, out. Like, because it was their price tag was so much that you couldn't possibly justify a number of goals, right? Yeah. They would have to have two goals every game to justify those kind of two goals and assists every game to justify those price tags. And in oh, the case yeah. of Torres now, I, I, it's it's hard for him to. I, I think in the mind of some Kool-Aid's, they've already decided that oh, well, he just he's not a goal scorer. He missed he missed too many chances for me to now believe that he could be a goal scorer that Barcelona could uh, could, could rely yeah, on, if you will. I, I have yeah, I've heard a little bit of that because I mean I was actually at I was at a bar nearby here uh, for the the first I I think what it was I don't know if it's the the totality of his his time you know just what's what's happened at Barca, but I think it was that first leg against Napoli that which I think was the most glaring example of the the phenomenon that you're talking about. Yeah. But somewhere around minute 75 of that match, when I was sitting there, just like the, I remember, I think I tweeted out at the time, I was like, you know, the the older Catalan set is not Team Ferran Torres at this, at this point in time. And so I think it's, I don't know it's even, if it's even necessarily a tally of goals as much as, I think it's going to have to come in sort of a big moment. I, I by no means do I think it's, make or break time or anything for him, anything kind of silly like mm-hmm. that. 
But I do think the changing of changing of minds or sort of, you know, winning over the hearts and minds of, of Kulis, I think is going to have to come, unless he's just going to start pouring in goals left and right. I think it's going to come in, in big moments, you know, where there's going to be winning a leg, you know, winning a tie in yeah. the uh, Europa League or something like that helping get, you know, get into third place or, you know, even if they can make a run at second place, something like that. I think it's a good point. Yeah. Instead of moments, it has to be a moment when he quote unquote convinces a big moment. Mm -hmm. Now, one player who was missing Galatasaray in that moment was on second viewing of some of the highlights and Mm -hmm. really just considering the match itself as to what was different between Galatasaray and Osasuna. And the biggest difference was obviously, well, actually, not obviously, but there were a number of pieces. It was Busquets was Mm -hmm. back in starting. It yeah. was PK back in starting. It was Aubameyang mm. back in starting. And it was also Gabi back in starting because he was suspended mm. for Galatasaray. And that's why my yeah. man of the match was Gabi because okay, yeah. so <laughs> much of what Barcelona were doing yesterday and, and Pedri as well. And I'm overlooking Pedri to, to talk about sure. Gabi here, but they worked so well in tandem. They kind of kept each other on a string where they were not ever isolated from the other for more than 25 yards or so. They were just mm-hmm. constantly supporting one another in those ways. In the same way that Alba and Alves worked in, in such tandem around Busquets mm-hmm. and allowed Busquets to, to do his thing as well. But yeah. for Gabi yesterday, other than winning the penalty, which I, I said was such a, such a... That move wasn't happening against Galatasaray at all, and that is probably mm-hmm. why Xavi reportedly lost his mind <laughs> on the team at halftime. But that ball from Alba into Aubameyang, as I mentioned, Aubameyang coming yeah. in, dropping in, and then the good mm-hmm. touch back to Busquets, who finds the run for the third man in behind the defense yep. to Gabi. So whether or not that was a PK, I, I think is, I don't know if it's up for debate, but whether or not it was a PK, that run that Gabi made that Nico wasn't making was a big, big difference mm-hmm. there. And Aubameyang also checking to the ball uh, in the way that he was. Not that Farron and Memphis weren't doing that, but they weren't completing yeah. that ball to Busquets or either for, for De Young in that case. And mm. Frankie De Young does have that long ball, but he doesn't release it with the same speed that Busquets releases that ball. Yeah. And so those are all the little differences as to why the quote-unquote same move didn't work against Galatasaray that leads mm-hmm. to the penalty kick. And of course, once that PK goes in, it's an entirely different game. And now Osasuna are trailing at the camp. No, and, and, it's, and that's it. And for Gabi, yeah, 102 touches, 74 passes, 96% passing accuracy, one key pass, five of six successful dribbles, three tackles, one, four interceptions, 10 of 16 on his duels. And it, but it wasn't that it's, it wasn't yeah, but, any of the stats. It I mean, a, that's a fantastic line. It too. is a fantastic line, but it wasn't even the stats. Mm. It was that with Farron kept wide. Yeah. I mean, and Farron again had two goals in this game, one of which mm. again comes because he was cut inside. But Farron in the buildup would keep so wide. And Gabi, I know people don't want to see him as a left winger, but it's so ironic that space that he ran into yesterday, the runs he was making were the same runs he makes as a left winger. And if you look at his heat map, he was so close to Ferran Torres. And once again, I keep talking Mm. about that high interior idea that Mm. Xavi in his perfect system, in a perfect world where Barca play almost flawless football like they did yesterday, Mm. those high interiors and Pedri and and Gabi are pushed way high to the point where they are basically not setting up, but when they finish their runs with that third man run, they're in front of the wingers who are continuing Mm. to stretch wide and need to defend, that being Farron and Dembele. And that's what we saw from Gabi yesterday, where his heat map told you that he was basically where he is when he's playing as a left winger, mm-hmm. when Barca are you know, still in that 4-3-3, but Gabi is having to play, quote-unquote, out of position up on that left wing. This mm-hmm. is not an argument that Gabi should be the left winger, because if he is a left winger, then he should be the one out wide, mm-hmm. and obviously that's why that doesn't work, because then right. there's that, yeah. <laughs> that extra 
man is not out wide pulling that mm-hmm. pulling uh for Gabi to make that run in behind uh, and even then you have to basically it's just a bombing he's the only one who really is going to be able to drop in and be considered a considerable threat to lay off and then immediately sprint i mean we saw this a mm-hmm. do a number of times he would lay off and then immediately sprint right down broadway yeah. right towards the goal and that's not really what Farron and Memphis are going to do. They're going no. to, again, build up and then turn on turn on the ball and try to make a curling run to yep. receive likely for, back from the wing. And, and so, yeah, Gabi's movement, to me, was what made him the man of the match. It's what opened up all the space for so many other players. And then you have the quality of Busquets and Alba and Alves. And, you know, leaders are going to be able to, I mean, especially the, the form that PK and Busquets and Alba are currently in and Alves mm-hmm. that, I mean, Alves had one bad game since he showed up, but with the form that those players are currently in, those veterans, they're going to find you. They're going to find the space as long mm-hmm. as you're moving for them. And so, yeah, that, that's why Gabi was my man of the match. But there's also 10 other guys in that first half that have a very, very good argument because this whole machine would not have worked without, without anybody, I mean, everybody just... doing their job. I mean, it was such a comprehensive, such a comprehensive win. I think that's the, yeah, like that's kind of the the beauty of it is, you know, everybody did their job. It's it's like you said, they, they played mistake-free football, but they also played actively well. No one was just kind of doing the, doing what you'd expect. Everyone was doing, it felt like more than what you would expect. You know, when you get nine, 10 guys playing like that, I mean, it's just, it's spectacular. Well, and the same thing with, uh, at the back with Garcia, where mm-hmm. in the case that Galatasaray was able to tell Araujo, hey, enter this space and then beat yeah. us, and he couldn't. The difference is for Garcia, when the Osasuna striker was attempting to man-mark PK out of the game, then Garcia was just wide open to make those progressive passes to switch play. And it, it just shows you that if you're, <laughs> how to say, to get the best of Eric Garcia, it, it's a game like this, where you see his ceiling because you don't have to deal with the floor. Again, 0.11 expected goals for Osasuna yeah. <laughs> tells you that they were not under attack at all. And the one time they were under attack, it was PK, who was able to get a quick rest in this game, which brings me to yeah. one of the final points, that we were worried about rotation against Galatasaray. And mm-hmm. with the exception of Busquets, who did play all 90, with the caveat that Frankie de Jong was able to completely rest in this game, yeah. that Busquets did play the 90, but that midfield has been rotated recently. So not saying I'm, I'm less concerned, but I'm definitely less concerned than I was for the first half of this year when Busquets played 90 minutes every single match. He has been rotated a bit more recently, and guys have gotten their days off in that midfield. And against Galatasaray, the first time around, yeah, we're worried that because of that 0-0 meant you had to go all out this coming Thursday and on Sunday in El Clasico. But yeah. fortunately for Xavi, by winning 4 nothing, he was able to get and give appearances to guys that we don't really see too often. And he was able yeah. to rotate. And there is no better rotation than an in-game, oh, we're dominating so much that we get to put the bench squad in rotation. That's yeah, the best a, version. It's the clear of the bench. Of yeah, so, you, I mean, Gaitha, Linlay, Brothway, and Puj all getting some minutes. We've been putting off the Puj thing, but did score his first league goal ever. So he did. Uh, yeah. it's, 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 it's Puj time again, Emil. I mean, that was fun. Yeah. I mean, it was just, that's one of those things. It was just, I want like, I do want to speak about this. I don't want to, I don't want to be even like at all kind of, you know, dismissive or flippant about it, but there was a little bit where I was like, okay, so that almost kind of emphasized what a great game it was. Cause it was like the, the cherry on the top cherry on top was Ricky Pooch coming off the bench and just slamming one home and 
all the all the feel goodery that uh, that you could conjure up it was just like that extra little bit and it was nice you know i mean it was uh it was a nice goal too like his uh his movement in there was nice and you know it was it was fun to see well, I said in the headlines yesterday, I felt weird because mm-hmm. it felt like a player near the end of his career. Like it felt like a player, mm-hmm. like the way the crowd was applauding him, it felt like this player who was almost seeing a testimonial match. Like he was in his swan song because he's been a, a player for the last three, four seasons that have been not to say, obviously he has his, his stands. Like I got some hate on the YouTube video yeah. that, oh, <laughs> you know, you always hated on Pooj and you never wanted to see him succeed, which obviously is insane. But in terms of yesterday's goal, yeah, it just felt like his teammates and the player himself and the, the crowd, they all kind of knew what the situation was. Like this guy who's been with, who's wanted to play for Barcelona, it's his, been his dream to play for Barcelona. He's been waited yeah, patiently. He's, he's deserved this goal. And it was this culmination where, yeah, again, there are those who are, are continuing to hate on it or, or not say that, that think he has a future next season. But I think whether he goes out on loan or sold over the summertime, this felt like everybody understood okay, this guy's put in his time and everybody's just happy for him. That's all it was. It was yeah. just, it doesn't need to be a, a referendum on his future. This is just mm-hmm. a player who's been waiting, who loves the team, who loves the club, who mm-hmm. definitely knows that his time is limited because it, he thought that Xavi might've been the difference. But, you know, it's also says a lot more about the greatness of his teammates in Pedri and Gabi that everybody yeah. is now seemingly on the same page, right? It's not like Puj is fighting against Arturo Vidal and Rakitic mm-hmm. in this case, where you're like, oh, those are different kind of players. Would a better, di- yeah. what a different kind of player in this situation, a guy who played a different role in a different style, would he unlock or would he be more beneficial to what Barcelona does? Like, and Puj is a bit more, yeah, I mean, he's a bit more lively on the ball than Gabi yep. might be. But Gabi is just all around a better player, and everybody yeah, sees exactly. that. Yeah, exactly. And Pedri is just all obviously Pedri is an all around better player <laughs> right. than Puj. Yeah. And even in the case of Nico, there are things that Nico can improve. And Nico himself, I'll have to look in the mirror. But Nico's also two to three years younger than Puj at this moment, well, and he exactly, also yeah. does so much in that system defensively that Puj mm-hmm. doesn't do. So he does win his minutes by helping out on one side of the ball. And, you know, Pooj is just so myopically moving forward. And he's never yeah. <laughs> really been able to get you to believe in what he could do defensively. And so it's cool to see that everybody seems to finally be a piece of the situation, including the player and the team and the fans. Mm-hmm. And again, with the exception of the crazy Pooj stands, it seems like everybody's on the same page. And so, yeah, you're right. It was just this, I think, this whole thing. I that, think you kind of said it. It yeah. was the the goal felt, uh, yeah, like it was pretty cathartic. Like the whole thing felt a little bit cathartic. And just this was, it actually took me back. And it was more, I recognized this, as you were as you were describing the situation, because I remember, and I think I even wrote about this at the time. At this point, it's like eleven or twelve years ago, maybe I don't even mm. know. Like maybe even more than that. But I remember, I don't know, I was off of work or something, but whatever. It was like one of those late mornings in New York City, and I went to the old Nevada Smiths, the the pub, and watched a Copa del Rey game. And all of the headliners for Barca were getting arrested. So mm-hmm. it was like, it was no Messi, no, uh, at the time, no Messi, no, I think it was even like Ronaldinho times or, you know, like right around then. And I remember uh, Boyan Kirkic mm-hmm. scored two goals in a, I believe a three nil or four nil win. And it was the same situation where kind of, it, we were getting towards the end of Boyan's time and it was clear that he wasn't the sort of the second coming of Messi. And, you know, the, this probably wasn't going to work out the way everyone had imagined it, La Masia. Yeah. But the the crowd just enjoyed. He dominated a game in front of a packed Camp Nou 
and scored two goals and kind of he got that moment it, you know he didn't get as many of them as you know his potential suggested so this had, this had a little bit of that that vibe to it of you get to experience the thing that we all wanted for you right yeah and not to say this will be a send-off but it's also the final stat for this poosing is he's a second 22nd player to score for barca this season that's most for any team in the liga they have really <laughs> really been sharing the wealth and there is yeah. some and the what that does answer is that with ansu injured this year because of, mm. we'll, we'll get to that in a second but with ansu injured this year the question was always going to be, you lose Messi, you lose your guy who's going to pour in the goals, you lose the guy who scores goals that gets you three points and gets you one point when you don't deserve it. And how were Barcelona, if they're going to play well, who was going to score those goals? And we didn't know about Ferran Torres and Obama Yang, of course. Mm. But they've come because Barcelona are playing a style and a system that has your interior scoring, that occasionally can have your well, center backs are going to score occasionally on set pieces, but mm-hmm. just a number of options as well as again injuries means that Ansu was put in what four this year, and Memphis mm-hmm. is your leading goal scorer even though he was out for so many months. And now that yep. Barcelona's playing well, Obama Yang is skyrocketing up the charts, and Ferran Torres mm-hmm. is getting his goals as well, and everyone is just contributing along that forward line. And depth depth has been so important because of just how threadbare the, the club was early in the season. I mean, no offense mm-hmm. to Ferran Jukla and uh, easy, easy Abde, but they were, <laughs> or as Abde, but they were being relied on for huge roles, for huge minutes at, at different swaths of this season. And now Barcelona have quote unquote real first teamers like Aubameyang, who is a very good player. Aubameyang's <laughs> what a top 20 forward from the last five to 10 years or top, maybe top I, 25 I, somewhere in there. I mean, I would say I'd feel comfortable saying top 20. I mean, you know, I don't think you could, I don't think we could rattle off 20 that are better than him, especially, yeah, over the last like half dozen years. No. Yeah. And so, and that's, that's what you get with Aubameyang and then Ferran Torres again. We, I mean, there aren't many better Spanish prospects under 22 years old than, or he just turned 22 on February 29th, yeah. 22 years old than him. Okay. So when Barcelona play really, really well, it's hard to go much longer on that. So let's, uh, <laughs> let's get a few one-off things here now down the stretch. More cause for celebration, Emil. The Barca Femini are Spanish champions again. Their third straight yes. title. Their seventh overall. This is, I can't believe I'm starting this on a negative note, if you will. Mm-hmm. But I don't want people to take this one for granted either. Because, of course, 24 wins from 24 matches. A plus. Mm-hmm. This one, I, I want to so, say it as slow as possible. 130. A plus 130. They've scored 136. Yeah. Conceded just six. So a plus 130 goal differential is insane. It's unbelievable. Uh, this is the drum I beat all the time. Like, I love keeping the tally on Twitter of their, yeah, it was, now it's 136-6, and I think they're 24-1 to 1 in the Champions League. Right. Yeah, yeah, which they have. Real Madrid, so it's 160 and seven conceded. Right. And not to start, I'm not saying negative, but I'm saying don't take this for granted because this is only their seventh league title total. So this yeah. whole idea of dominance for Barcelona's Femini is a new phenomenon. And just like with the Pep Guardiola teams, when especially for those who became Mm. fans during that era, that that success and glory Mm. and greatness and dominance does not last forever. So really do soak it in in these moments. I'm not saying that Barcelona don't have a project. And certainly in the in the women's game at the moment, money and finances go a lot farther than they do right. necessarily in the men's game, which can be a little more cyclical, even when you have the best players of all time. But for the for the feminine, if they continue to invest in this project, but yeah, eventually Alexei Buteas, who is still somehow in her, she's in her late 20s, still in her prime, 
But yeah. Kenny Hermoso is over 30. So, you know, eventually <laughs> give it a few seasons, but she will in theory be phased out and will Claudia Pena, <laughs> will Bruna Villamala, who unfortunately has been well, out this season. And they actually, for yeah. younger players, Jonna Fernandez, as well yeah. as Villamala, both had those season-ending injuries, which is unfortunate because, yeah. again, they are such a huge, or in theory, they're a huge part of what the future should hold. They're a big part of the future. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But the team, well, as is currently constructed, is so deep, has two fantastic positions, players at every position. They're able to rotate. They're able to dominate any competition. Even Real Madrid, who invested in their squad, they show you how yeah. far... That, I mean, that match yesterday, 5 nothing, showed you how far behind Real Madrid is. And, you know, the Champions League might be a surprise, but also it's two legs yeah. against Barca Femini, against this Real Madrid squad, and it feels inevitable. And as I said, I don't want to take away from them because inevitable is what we want to see, mm. but also enjoy these moments because... They weren't always inevitable, and it is a new, recent thing that they've been this this strong of a team. Yeah. Well, um, I think we talked about this. I mean, I wrote about this a couple of months ago at uh, Urban Pitch, and then I've actually just read, uh, I guess in June, I think it's coming out. So I did a more more historical looking, kind of going all the way back to 1970 and sort of the, the inception of all things women's football with, you know, even affiliated with FC Barcelona. Mm-hmm. But it was, you know, and so I've kind of dug into this a couple of times now, and it's they they were in the second tier like less than a decade and a half ago. Their last promotion push, you know, was was less than 15 years ago. They did not win their first league title until I believe it was a dozen years ago. Their second trophy period didn't come until they won a trophy in 1994 and then not again until I believe 2009, maybe 2010. And the 94 one was the Copa de la Reina, right? Copa de la Reina. Yeah. And also the second one in 09 or 10, mm-hmm. they, they got another Copa de la Reina and then they started, I believe they won three league titles and then I think they were interrupted and then they've rattled off four more now. And so, I mean, it's, yeah, they, they seem so, it's, there's such an irresistible force now that it just, it's exactly right. And I think I even wrote something to the effect of what you said, which is it feels ridiculous to even contemplate a time where, you know, this team wasn't good, let alone, you know, this kind of world beaters. Yeah. Just putting and, everybody in the wood chipper. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, yeah, like, I mean, we keep talking about it, but it's, it's absolutely wild. They're essentially the average game that they play. The score is, like five and three quarters to some pocket change. Yeah. Like it's, it's wild. Yeah. I mean, and people tongue in cheek would say, <laughs> Oh, the Barca men should play more like the feminine, but in truth they should because the, th- yes. the third man run or the third woman run for the yeah. feminine, that third woman run is what the feminine have been doing for two and a half seasons now to perfection yeah. between Aitana and, and Alexia. And it works so well that Gabi and Pedri yes. started doing it. And then all of a sudden yeah. the Barca men are winning for nothing as well. So it's like, yes, the Femini have always been playing the quote unquote Barca way, but they've been playing exactly the way that Xavi would have wanted to play. And he wanted his yes. men's team to play. And now that the men's team are playing like that, it makes a lot of sense. And so, yes, in truth, it wasn't, it shouldn't have been tongue in cheek that once the men started playing exactly the way that the Femini would, yes. but the men also did not, have the personnel at the moment and the feminine their midfield is always better than the opposition midfield always yes. every time i mean except when they completely rotate when things get a little dicey there but when they have two of three of patri alexia and aitana there, there, there yeah. is no there is no midfield yeah what are you gonna Earth do that, yeah. right. <laughs> what's your what's right. your plan but, but also yeah, throwing exactly. in, but also throwing an engine as well who is 
over time been able to uh, assimilate herself oh, well yeah. in a different kind of player, but they just have so much depth. They've got too many they players. They don't have a weak link. Start. Yeah. And well, I think what's interesting too, to your point was the men's side hasn't had the personnel, you know, particularly, you know, in, in recent years. And I think one of the things was that the, with Femini, they relatively speaking, I think at least in terms of the, the, the financial stakes have not been so high and there's not such a sort of a feeding frenzy style transfer market for, you know, all, all female superstars. So, you know, you don't have the, the PSGs and the man cities of the world, you know, offering to pay 200 million for, for Alexia or, Mm -hmm. you know, something like that. So I think they have been, they've had the luxury of playing this, the truly the idealized Barcelona way and playing, learning how to play that and just practicing it and getting drilled in it to this point of perfection but they've had the ability to do it without those sorts of external factors sort of disrupting. And, you know, even, and I think it was because there were so many, you know, whether the transfer policy went awry or, you know, just everything that's happened with the men's team and just, you know, the, the personnel being wrong and everything like that, there, there haven't been transfers brought in as there have been with the men's team where it was purely kind of a, a political thing or just you wanted mm-hmm. the PR win. Sure. There hasn't been like an, an Antoine Griezmann who, you know, the, the president, it became, you know, it became Bartomeu's white whale and he needed to one way or another, he needed to get Griezmann in there. And, you know, Coutinho was kind of the same way. And uh, to me, that one is a bigger white whale, if anything. I mean, oh, yeah. Did, well, I mean, it was the thing. Liverpool the actually stopped them from spending their money on Coutinho the first time. And they just, they didn't. But but I think the whole thing was that there was, there's a little bit more of a, a purity of message. And I think that's kind of been reinstilled with Xavi coming back. And I think with, with the men's team was just at such a, such a low yeah. point. And so I think they... I mean, they got to a point where I think Chaffee could say, like, look, if you want to do this, like, we're going to we're going to do this the right way. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a minute. Like, the, the results aren't always going to be pretty. Now, they've gotten pretty really quickly, which would you look at that? And, yeah. But I and I do think there's like there is just kind of a beauty in the way that Barca family have kind of assembled the the best talent and these incredible tactics and been able to sort of foster this unbelievable dominance you know over you know over five six years well i want to speak about the midfield real quick then we'll go back to someone mm-hmm. with the feminine but against galatasaray i i mean frances shout out to frances he would always we'd always do this like it seemed like every mm-hmm. show before a major quote-unquote big i mean this is a big big match is europa league it's mm-hmm. the one where barcelona can move on or or not so against galatasaray yeah. we saw what gabi and busquets and pedri did against osasuna and Frankie de Young was the one on the bench. And obviously, so mm-hmm. here came the calls from people. Oh, I told you, Frank, Frankie de Young, he's the fraud in the midfield, right? But against Galatasaray, <laughs> what 11, Emil, do you go with to trust? I mean, again, I think it works in tandem, right? Galatasaray and Real Madrid. I, I don't know how much you quote-unquote rotate. I think you can start the same 11 if you needed to in both matches. But yeah, I mean, yeah. What, what, is your, what is your choice there? I, I'm not going to say all 11, but just, yeah, what's your midfield? Up front, I think I would do, um, you know, Farron, Obama, Yang, and probably Adama. And then, so in the midfield, I mean, I, th- I think I would go with, it's tough because, I, I mean, I, I thought that Frankie de Young got into a couple of decent positions against Galatasaray. It just didn't, you know, none of it ultimately yielded yielded what we wanted. I mean, I I think I would actually just keep the same midfield. Mm-hmm. Um, I, think I, would, I think I would swap in Adama and then obviously Dani Alves can't be, 
can't be involved. So there, I mean, I think. Oh, I agree. I would say I think that's the play. I think the play is Pedri Gabi Busquets against Galatasaray, and then De Jong yeah. Busquets Pedri against Real Madrid. Yeah, I think, exactly. I think and that's then... what you go with. I mean, it was, yeah, and I, the only reason I say that is just because, again, that third man run is going to be really important to breaking mm-hmm. down what is likely going to be a medium to low block again from Galatasaray. Because yep. again, they're going to continue to do the same thing. They're going to be outclassed. This Galatasaray team yeah. is not very good. They're they're pressed really easily in the Turkish league. I thought mm-hmm. in that first leg, as we said, they were more organized than they have been in weeks, in months. And Torrent yeah, had was, them. It, it was, was wild. Almost, I, yeah. Yeah, like I, I, I was reading up on them, I and mean, they hadn't kept a clean sheet since like Christmas, and no, and they, I think they it was even November. They struggled <laughs> to play out of the back, and somehow that seemed to work against Barcelona this time around. <laughs> but it's not going to work again. And again, with yeah. Gabi making those third man runs and getting in behind, <laughs> I think Aubameyang also steps back in the starting lineup for Galatasaray because he got Agreed. his rest last week. So yep. uh, yeah, and and I think that. Barcelona are going to go with a midfield that's going to push high and attack. And then against Real Madrid, you kind of want to have that Busquets. You you want De Young. You just want De Young to, yeah. in another moment where you circle him and say, hey, can you be the best midfielder here? I mean, alongside Pedri, can you be the best midfield? Because Barca have struggled against that Cruz, Casemiro, Modric. It's just been a, a plague for Barcelona's midfield for the last few years. And if Barca's well, midfield... A, yeah, that's been a torture chamber the last couple of years. Right, yeah. and if Barca's midfield can be better than that trio, then Barcelona can win... El Clasico in for the first time in, in quite some time. All right. Yeah. And so, okay. So that's the Galatasaray little preview there. The, to, to transition back to the feminine, but to our last little quick talking segment is, so what, I, living here in the U.S., it's interesting because the U.S. women's national team players are such superstars. They're such celebrities mm. in the women's game. And so for me, there's basically that winning that Spanish league title doesn't make a blip, even for those speaking about women's football circles. Mm. They just, it just, that, that Spanish league, which has been such a foregone conclusion for so exactly. long, it's seen it's yeah. seen in the same light as PSG's French titles. It's the exact right. same yeah, thing. Yeah. That's how it's, it's exactly that, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. And so the only way that the Barca Femini can get any credibility or recognition is by winning the Champions League by domi- by basically getting their name etched in the Lyon Wolfsburg, yeah. you know, dynasties of, of of the 21st century and being that next big big team and. The, uh, the other way I think be, that's one of the things I think they need to beat they need to get the chance to beat Leon along the way or in the final because yeah, I think uh, the field, yeah yeah because a couple of years ago they you know they got humbled in the in the Champions League final the by Leon yep, and then yep. they they kind of took that and whatever they did I mean they kind of just incubated that that pain and came back mm-hmm. you know just completely devastating and they just haven't had another crack at Leon in the time since. So I think that's the, the less last kind of assuming they're going to win the Champions League, which I don't want to make that assumption too, too flippantly, but to actually take down Leon along the way, I think yeah. would be the ultimate in sort of redemptive well, arcs, I guess. Yeah. And as we say, there are, we saw Chelsea who, yeah, Chelsea got destroyed last year in Champions League final yeah. by Barcelona, but the Chelsea, the Man City, the Man United, Bayern Munich, Arsenal, especially yeah. Bayern Munich in particular, there are teams mm. that are improving in the women's game every single year. So it will get oh, harder. Mm. It will continue to get harder as these yes. other quote unquote big rich clubs continue to invest in their women's teams. 
So the only other real way that those players get recognition is unfortunately mm-hmm. through international competition, which is not everybody. Yeah. Because if Alexia and Hermoso and Patri are going mm-hmm. to the World Cup final with Spain, that means that Caroline Graham Hansen, who deserves a ton of recognition, and as again, then Engen and Rolfo, those kind of players yeah. then won't be getting the same recognition. So it's only going to be certain players on that team that'll get the recognition if Spain were to go far in the World Cup, but certainly becoming a quote-unquote yeah. global superstar. And even then, even then, it's a reminder that because someone like Alexi Buteas, who doesn't, occasionally she'll do an interview or two in English, but not mm. much. But because there isn't a lot of English-speaking content coming out from the Femini, it also has a lot yeah. harder time because the, the, global, the, the global media for women's football at the moment, because it is so scarce, because there's so few people covering mm. women's football on a global scale, that so much of the media is in English. So it just, it does. Yeah, it's overwhelmingly them, English. I yeah, think, yeah, so it just takes them out of the conversation, mm. even more so than the men's version because the men's version if anything actually from france and on and that's just because they control the balance yeah. door because for a bunch of different reasons but you have uh, yeah. you have there's uh, french football and yeah yeah, just yeah. The, yeah all that mm-hmm. right okay so speaking of french football final talking point yes. here is erlen holland that is questionable whether or not he's gonna barca can even afford him i'm not going to talk yeah. about the, the legal limit that came out today i not yeah. only want to get more information on that but I, i'm not going to concern myself with that until i can completely understand it let's put it that way but sure. messy situation at PSG is real bad, real, real bad. So we're going to talk about hypotheticals here because he was booed in a 3 nothing win after getting knocked out of the Champions League by Real Madrid. Mm. So obviously Kylian Mbappe heading to Real Madrid in the offseason. Neymar, uh, PSG, I mean, that is not to say that relationship booed, is over. But, they booed Neymar too when he scored. Yeah, right. <laughs> so Messi situation. well, Barcelona would, <laughs> I mean, unless Bartomeu comes back as president somehow, um, Neymar is not returning, or Sander Rosell, yeah. by the way, or comes back. Neymar is probably yeah. not returning to Barcelona. <laughs> but Messi's situation is a question mark, right? And I, I just want to mm-hmm. talk about, because this is a podcast and we're allowed to do things like this, I yes. would want to talk about this through the lens of money and talk about it through the lens of what Barca can afford and be logical and reasonable. Yeah. But Emil... I want to give you space to not be reasonable and just Messi return to Barcelona next year or what does Barcelona to, owe him? Where would he be? How would he fit? Would that make any sense for anybody other than Messi? So I would love to bring Leo home. I mean, if there is any way to financially make it work, I think it should be done because I think what's so in a practical sense too, I think this year without Messi or the season without Messi, the year without Messi has been hugely valuable from the perspective of the players who were here previously, you know, all the guys that were accused of the Messi dependencia and then all the, the young guys who have, whether they've graduated up, you know, from La Masia or, you know, come in, everyone's had this experience of the cavalry is not coming. Like Messi is not here to save you and score the goal or make the inch perfect pass. So you guys are going to have to figure this out. And they are, There is a part of me that genuinely believes that after this year away, I think this year has probably had its, its impact on, on Messi. I don't, none of us, none of us know the man, none of us know exactly sort of what, exactly what's, what's ticking inside of him, but I can't imagine that this is never mind what he expected. I mean, this is like, it's just an abject disaster. And, you know, just given how great a pastor he is, how great a facilitator he is too, I think from a truly from a practical perspective, if you could integrate kind of older Twilight Messi into this team, I think it would have, I think it would be absolutely spectacular. 
And... I just don't know where, though. I, I don't know where because when I broke down Osasuna, right, he's not the guy that's going to drop in as a... Well, even if he were to play false nine, he's not going to drop in and deliver in that way. He's not going to consistently make those runs in behind in half space and behind the back line that the high interiors in Xavi's system are expected to do. He's not going to be able yeah. to completely stay wide as Xavi's wingers like to do. So at yeah. some point, it's not even Messi de Bencia, but you were going to be required to change your game for him so he if he returned yeah, to barcelona he, it would be ceremonial and it would be to be be the, i mean be the most impressive bench option that has ever existed basically but he's not going to be that either because he's going to start most of the yeah. time yeah no I, I mean i think he would start but i do think it would be because i do think the one byproduct of this season in paris that he's had and just particularly this last couple of weeks uh with the them getting dumped out of the Champions League and then this last game against Bordeaux. I mean, Messi has never been purely sort of humbled like this. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, just short of Messi has only gotten booed in the last decade because he has obliterated someone else's team. Like yeah. you were mad at him because he was too good, but not because he wasn't good enough for your team. So I, this has to have had some sort of a humbling effect. I, I, one would imagine. I mean, I can only I can only surmise that. And I do think that if he came back, I, th- I think he would be as a starter. But I don't think it would be exactly what the sort of what the Barca of the the past you know handful of years look like, particularly the post Neymar Barca. Yeah. Um, I I think he would be more of a you put him on the right, sort of in that Adama Dembele place. You know, you let him cut in on his left. He he's going to float a little bit because he's because he's Lionel Messi and he's back at FC Barcelona and that's, you know, it's a rite of passage, but um, you know, he's, I think he would be the ultimate sort of playmaker. And I, I think it would actually be perfect. I think he got the year away to both sort of come to grips with this football mortality and see sort of how the other half lives and what it's like when, you know, when you join someone else's team. And I think in the meantime, all the, the, the seeds of this next generation of Barca have really begun to take root and you have the veterans who've kind of regained a lot of their confidence and their poise. And Danny Alves is back. Man, bring Leo home. Yeah, I mean, listen, I that was not a... <laughs> I, I know I seem to take the approach that I would be worried about Lionel Messi rejoining Barcelona yeah. the way that they're playing right now. But also, yes, I, I, it's, it's true that we see that Ronaldo still has something in his legs, and we know that Messi mm-hmm. still has a lot left to give to yeah. the game. There, I mean... He is 34 years old, and that is a scary number. But he number. didn't get bad correct, overnight, like, over correct, the summer. Correct. He was still Barcelona's best player a season ago. And you're right. I think if anyone's going to make it work with Messi, it would be Xavi. And you're yeah. right as well that just because Adama and Dembele keeping that that right side like really wide, in theory, that would make sense. But they, they do that so that those two players who profile that way have a long runway to run at at defenders. At defend, yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And still, Barcelona, not say that they wouldn't have to change what they do much, but be- mm-hmm. if you put him as that right winger and Pedri and Gabi, I mean, because Pedri has improved since Messi left. He's, he's taken a step. Mm-hmm. He's taken a leap forward. And he's a better player even than Messi when Messi left. And when you have Pedri and Gabi running for you, if you will, for, mm-hmm. for in the case of Lionel Messi, I'm, I'm a little worried about 34-year-old Messi and 38-year-old Alves defending that right side against certain players. And sure. we also know that <laughs> Dest and Messi, there was just something that 
I mean, Des wasn't really able to get up to the level that was required defensively yeah. and offensively to cover mm-hmm. for that. Um, but again, when Araujo is the right center back, now you're talking mm-hmm. about something that is, is doable and possible. And why Araujo, I think, had to make that leap last year was because he would have to defend shading to the right because of the mm-hmm. space left in behind by, by Messi. Or when Messi would be cutting in, obviously, then Des would try to overlap. And now you've got way too much room on that right side. And then mm-hmm. kind of got the best out of Araujo in that way. But yes, to your point, Emil, for sure, that no offense to Adama Traore or to Dembele, but because of Messi's close control, his dribbling ability mm. in the middle of the field, in small spaces. Yeah. We're not talking about going one-on-one against an opponent because that really mm. hasn't been his game now in a few seasons. He's not that way at the age of 34. No. His game is shifting. But his close control, his touch has not changed. His touch is still mm-hmm. one of the most incredible in the world. So you're right. By overloading that left sideline, keeping at least your left winger super wide mm. on that touch line and building play the way that they're continuing to build up play, which is that third man run through the left side of the field mm. they've been doing since Xavi arrived. That's going to give Messi the entire right side to play with. And by bringing in, I mean, whether it's Alves or it's Des, by bringing that right mm. back in and inverting him as a midfielder to defend those clearances that way, you're giving Messi the ability to defend when he needs to, to have this just, again, a wide open space. And when you give Messi that kind of space in the middle third or the middle right third of the field, then yeah, Messi is going to be devastating again, but it doesn't all have to be on him this time because of the way that this team is clicking. There's just so much happening that didn't happen when Messi was here. And I would be stupid to doubt the greatest player of all time. So it is not an anti. I, I want to. <laughs> yeah. I want to immediately go and say I know I had an anti-Messi argument because there is a case where you add Messi back into the fold and then it becomes about him. The way that PSG just didn't really. <laughs> it's. It seems like they want it to be about Mbappe, but because he plays, it doesn't have to be at Mbappe, and it's never going to be about Neymar. And so it kind of became about Messi by default, and it's just yeah. disjointed. And yeah, so I, I think the leaders at Barcelona are back to understanding their roles and playing within their roles and not having to do too much to cover for Messi. And if they came, and if he returned, I just want him to return within this system, and I, I think he'd be capable of doing 100%. that. Hundred percent. Unlike your guy Russell Westbrook, who. Uh, it's the difference, Oof. right? The big difference is that Messi, I mean, they're both taking booze this year. They both went yeah. to the big show where the lights are brightest, and they both have struggled. So Westbrook, Messi, two of the all-time greats, certainly not comparing the two. <laughs> Westbrook is no, but a little bit lower that, on that but, tier. But. Well, I think there is an interesting thing, though, that I think with with Messi, it's you see the system. And like you're talking about, there's a, there's a coherent approach in a system in which Messi ages spectacularly and you know can probably play till he's like 38 and you know you tweak his role and you you know put less uh less on his plate over time but i think messi is more as much as he you know does float and freestyle and everything else but i think messi's knowledge tactical knowledge is just so so acute and so comprehensive whereas because i do think there is an apt comparison between him and russell westbrook because but the thing is russell westbrook's system is like just let Russ do stuff, mm-hmm. you know, just it's his. And the problem is that as his ability to finish at the rim has, has deserted him as his shot has either not gotten better or gotten worse. There was never like a real sort of a plan B. I don't want to say, I don't want to say like he has no tactical acumen, but like, but he doesn't take a, a purely kind of tactical approach to the game. Like he's in a way sort of, 
Russell Westbrook is still a a superior athlete to Nikola Jokic, and Nikola yeah. Jokic is breaking basketball right. nightly. I mean, when and, you're really, listen, and it's a lesson, right? When you're in your mid thirties, you either have to change and adapt as you <laughs> age, or your career's over and you're done. And that's something yeah. where. Ronaldo, I can't believe that is, but to his credit, he's basically just become a poaching goal scorer, and that's what he yeah, is now. Yeah, he's just a number nine. Right? Yeah. I mean, he's still an, an incredible athlete, even in his late yes. 30s. But yeah, he's just become a number nine, and that is exactly what he is. And he mm. still continued to be, not say valuable, because he hasn't been great either, but he, he's not been great in the ways that people have expected him to be great in the past, but he's been great in the ways that he's now affecting games, and that is just to put the yeah. ball in the back and as a poacher. And that's going to be the same question of Messi, where for so long, everything was on him. He could do a lot of different things. He could run fast mm-hmm. players. He could defend as well. He could work hard and run more than anybody else on the field. And as he continues to age, we've seen it for the last three, four years, as he continues to age and continues to get longer in the tooth, how will his game adapt? And no offense to Westbrook, but again, I, I want to also reiterate mm-hmm. that the death threats his family receiving are disgusting. People mm-hmm. are terrible. People are monsters. But also, mm-hmm. Westbrook does not help himself, not about the death threats, but about the other criticism, yeah. the reasonable criticism. He has not helped himself because he has not yeah, adapted like the, in the, any the way. The complaining like, about Westbrook. <laughs> right, right, right. But he's, I, I just mean like he doesn't set screens for people. He does not. Like, no, he has no, no, no. Screen, Like he doesn't, he has not adapted his game to survive in the league in a way that even Carmelo no. Anthony did. Because Carmelo Anthony became a spot-up shooter in a way that we never expected him to do. Yeah. Really? I just always thought he was going to call for it on the baseline, and that little 12 to 15 to 18-foot turnaround baseline yeah, jumper like, was just always going to be he was going to do in isolation. Yeah, just go triple threat, jab, yeah. jab, jab. <laughs> but he, yeah. but he stopped, not that he stopped doing that, but he run. I mean, they do that for him two or three times just to make sure he's still paying attention <laughs> in a game. Yeah. But, but by and large, he just changed his game. And so the question for Messi is going to be, it's definitely not going to happen now with PSG. Not to say change his game, but PSG now has a system, because of Neymar even, that in theory, was built for Messi, but has not garnered any results out of Messi. And even then, because of PSG's dominance in the French League, their only way, I mean, again, their only path forward, and because of the nature of even PSG and where their money comes from, the only nature of their success comes from the Champions League. That's it. That's it. Champions League. That's it. That's the only way that anyone is ever going to clap for you and be proud of you, PSG, because you spend all your time sports washing, and, you know, we know your money comes from. And so if he came back from Barcelona, it would just... All the feels, all the vibes would just matter. And now, I mean, again, yes. we, we say all this because the quote unquote money wouldn't matter in this case. The whatever it was, right? Like you, yeah. so much would be forgotten. It's just you know whether or not Messi and and what, not in not when it mat, when it matter, but uh, in in what manner would he return and what success could Barcelona have? Because I even saw somebody ask a question like, "How has PSG affected Messi's legacy?" And I was like, "Are you like are you crazy? Like he was the best player you know, of all time three years so ago." I, That's it. So I had this I had this thought actually when I was between the the second leg against Real Madrid and then this the the Bordeaux game where they were you know where they were booing him, and I remember thinking that. Just given the the I don't know the the evolution of culture and how people formulate opinions and stuff like that, I was just waiting. Thankfully, I hadn't seen it, but I was just thinking that are people going to start piping up with you know these six months have undone the most mind bending like yeah. eighteen years or sixteen years or whatever that yeah, we've right. ever seen. Let's second guess some of those Ballon doors. Because of oh, uh, because yeah, he, they got knocked yeah. out, they got knocked <laughs> yeah. out in another in another. Well, yeah, I mean, he he is a player. Unfortunately, for a certain generation, though, is going to be remembered for all of the what ifs in the Champions League, and that is what he's going to be remembered yeah. for. Because whether Barcelona or PSG now, so many times they had it, 
and then they didn't. Yeah. And by that, now it's not about Barcelona. It's about he had it, and then he didn't. And there's going to be a generation that's going to remember him in that way because there is a what if where it's, it is crazy to say, though, unfortunately, that if you mm. play Messi's career out 10 times, you actually are getting to a point where six of those times might be better. Six of those times he wins more Champions League. Maybe not individual yeah. trophies, but six of yeah. those he win, He has better careers. He wins more Champions Leagues, and he even mm-hmm. has more international success. If you play his career out 10 times, six times, he I mean, he wins a World Cup in two of those 10 times or three of those 10 times. Oh, yeah. Like, well, I mean, and that, there's that's no the way he Messi. waits until... Yeah. There's no way he waits until he's, what, 32, 33 to even win the, the Copa America. Right. Yep. So, and that's the crazy about Messi that he his career could have been even better than it was yeah. when he individually <laughs> was the best player ever. Okay. So that's it. We've done uh, too much on a player that doesn't actually play for FC Barcelona, but uh, is again still behind me. So, but I, yeah, I was going to say, it. I see him over your shoulder. <laughs> you get it. Yeah, he never leaves me. Uh, but so I think that wraps up another edition of the show. Remember to follow Emil, read his stuff. Uh, again, he is somehow even a better writer than he is a podcast mm. host. Uh, so we're also at the oh, Pod at Helping D13 for me. And then the Patreon, Facebook group, YouTube, all that stuff. You can hear my puppy in the background. She's had enough of listening <laughs> to me on the show. So we're going to wrap it up. Thanks so much for listening to the show. Another Until next time, we'll talk to you soon at Forza Barca. Forza Barca. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.